This is the J. Scott Outdoors podcast on Western big game hunting and fishing brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and join today. I'm your host, Jay Scott, and I live and breathe hunting and fishing, spending half the year in the field experiencing God's creation. I hope you'll enjoy hearing about our adventures. Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have a great episode with Brody Henderson, who's a guide from Vail Valley Anglers out of the Vail area in Colorado. Uh, the shop is actually located in the Riverwalk Center in Edwards, Colorado, and you can find them at valevalleyanglers.com. They've got a great website, and uh, I've been going into that shop for, oh, 10 or 10 plus years. Uh, used to fish a lot with a friend, Giannis Patelis, and um, they've actually gone through several name changes over the years, uh, but uh, the last couple years, it's Vail Valley Anglers. Uh, it's a great shop. Uh, Brody's been a guide in the Vail Valley for 16 years. Um, I know when I used to fish with Giannis all the time, uh, he spoke very highly of Brody and, and his abilities. And uh, it's a great area if you haven't visited it. Uh, not only in the winter do they ha have incredible skiing, but uh, um, they actually have phenomenal fishing uh, with the Gore Creek, um, the Eagle River, the Colorado River. Um, Homestake Creek, uh, there's a, a bunch of uh, good fishing, uh, Piney River, uh, all around the area. So uh, check it out. Uh, you guys are going to enjoy this episode. Uh, also, uh, go check out Vail Valley Anglers uh, if you need flies or uh, buy uh, Colorado fishing licenses. Um, they carry Sims products, Patagonia, Sage, Fish Pond, Rio, and Yeti. And um, you can also find them on Facebook uh, and Instagram. Uh, you guys are going to enjoy this show. Uh, we break down the Eagle River and the characteristics of the river. Um, I want to thank you guys, uh, my listeners, for all the support. I get uh, constant emails at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com uh, and text messages, uh, Instagram messages, Facebook messages from you guys tell me how much you're enjoying this podcast and quite frankly I'm enjoying doing it so it, uh, it it's a good partnership and I just appreciate all your support I want to remind you guys that uh, up you need to uh, subscribe on iTunes because if you subscribe it's free everything's free you're listening for free and subscribing for free but if you subscribe on iTunes uh, as soon as I automatically download an episode into my Podbean account which is my host for the podcast if you're subscribed you automatically get that to your device so it's important I have some people that say you know when's the next one coming out and you know 12 hours ago I had already downloaded uh, an episode into Podbean so subscribe on iTunes uh, you can also subscribe on Podbean I uh, thought think that I should make note that um, if you're an Android user you go on my Podbean feed if you're a Apple uh, iPhone user you go on the iTunes feed so um, and I believe on the Podbean uh, account there is also a, a link that you can use the iPhone app uh, on your Android so um, or excuse me, iTunes app uh, on your Android. So uh, yeah, so we've got that out of the way. I just want to thank you guys for listening and uh, let's get right to the show with Brody. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have Brody Henderson. I've known Brody for some time. He's a guide in the Eagle, uh, in the Vale and the Eagle River Valley. Uh, Brody's been guiding for 16 years in the Valley and I'm fortunate to have him on this morning to talk fly fishing, uh, Colorado, and uh, fly fishing specifically in the Eagle River, River Valley, which is uh, near the towns of Vail, uh, Edwards, uh, Walcott, Avon. Uh, it's a beautiful area. I've spent a bunch of time uh, in the area fishing and, and uh, enjoying Colorado, and uh, we're fortunate to have Brody on this morning. Brody, how are you doing? Doing great. 
Um, looking forward to having you on this morning to talk about fishing. I noticed it's uh, it's uh, the 12th of June as we record this episode, and I noticed we had uh, big rain over here in the Roaring Fork Valley last night, and I see that the eagle has jumped up to 3760, I think, overnight, coming up from, I believe, 2700. So, I mean, it made a big jump overnight. It did, yeah. It's a, it's a pretty big leap, and we're actually... We're not too unhappy about that because we kind of need that that high elevation snow to start melting so we can get after some fish. Yeah, it sounds good. Now, Brody, you're a guide in the valley for 16 years. You're with uh, Vail Valley Anglers. Uh, give me a little background, a little bio, short bio on yourself, uh, maybe how you got, got started out into Colorado um, and what brought you to guiding in the Eagle River Valley? Uh, sure, yeah. I, w- I was living on the Front Range in the mid-90s, uh, working at a, a tech job down there, and uh, I was coming up to the Eagle Valley area quite frequently to fish on the weekends and uh, was stopping in one particular shop, Fly Fishing Outfitters, and uh, I, w- I was there a lot, and they kept begging me to guide and begging me to guide, and Finally, I I decided to take a guide training school with them and uh, made it through two days of a five-day school and started guiding on my third day. So that was 16 years ago, and I'm still doing it. Yeah, and I I know you're known as one of the best guides in the valley. Um, When I first saw you, uh, we we used to fish with your friend Giannis Patelis, who used to be a guide in the valley, and (laughs) fished with Giannis. My wife and I fished with Giannis for oh, five or six years, and um, we would see you a lot on the river, and Giannis always had good things to say about you and how well you knew the river and uh, how good of a fisherman you were. And um, so I want to pick your brain a little bit today on some of the uh, different characteristics of the Eagle River specifically. Um, I know the area has good fishing with the Colorado and Gore Creek and the Blue River and, and, and some of the, you know, different fisheries around. But today I want to talk specifically about the Eagle River. Um, what is it about the Eagle River to you that is so special? Uh, it's, it's just a great kind of the ideal trout stream in my mind. It's, it's definitely my favorite river to guide on as far as float fishing goes. Um, kind of an, an interesting thing about the Eagle is that in the late 80s, there was a mine spill on the, the way upper Eagle River, and uh, there was very few wild fish in that river at the time, and uh, the, the fishery was struggling big time, and they closed the mine and started cleaning things up, and the river just kind of came back on its own, and when I started guiding the Eagle, a 14-inch rainbow was a pretty nice fish. It was mostly brown trout. They didn't get that big. Um, and, and now just over the course of time, as the river's cleaned itself up, you know, it's not uncommon to catch 18 to 20 inch wild rainbows out there. So it's a pretty impressive fishery that a lot of people kind of drive by to go fish some more well-known fisheries like the frying pan or the Colorado river. So we love it. It's, it's our favorite stream. Yeah, I, I, I've had some great days out there and enjoy the whole valley. Um, Brody, take me through maybe from the start of, of the Eagle River up high and and let's talk or, or let's let's break the segments down into maybe the Upper Eagle and then maybe uh, down to, you know, STP through town there and then maybe from, you know, put uh, from STP to Climbing Rock, Climbing Rock, you know, maybe go yeah. through the river as you start from the top yeah no problem um the the eagle originates uh from a couple different branches up above vale up above the town of minturn as a fairly small stream up near camp hale which is an old military camp on some national forest ground it's a very small stream up there a lot of beaver ponds and up there homestake creek joins it it drops down through battle mountain pass uh, and joins up with Cross Creek just above Minturn, where it becomes a little bit bigger river. Um, the fish are are fairly small up there. Um, it, they're doing a lot of cleanup in that stretch of the river now, and, and that stretch is, is starting to yield some some bigger fish. But for the most part, it's it's smaller rainbows and browns up there. And where it really turns into 
a, a really good, good trout fishery is just below the town of Vale, where Gore Creek enters the stream. And Gore Creek is a small gold medal trout fishery in the town of Vale. So from, from Gore, the confluence of Gore Creek down through the town of Avon, it, it gains some volume and becomes a little bit bigger river. It's a lot of pocket water, a lot of fast water. We don't float up there. It's pretty technical. Some whitewater companies go up there and kayakers go up there, but we don't really float it. Um, and it reaches the town of Avon. And again, it's, it's still mostly pocket water. A lot of big boulders. There's some deeper holes, um, and it, it's a great fishery for wade fishermen between the town of Avon and Edwards. And uh, there's some public access in there. Some really good fishing. It's still primarily a brown trout fishery until you reach the town of Edwards, and that's where a lot more rainbows start showing up. And just below the town of Edwards is the Edwards uh, wastewater treatment plant. <clears throat> and that's the first major public boat ramp where we start floating the river. And about seven miles downstream from there is the town of Wolcott. And just below Wolcott is what's called the Climbing Rock BLM campground where there's another boat ramp. We do a lot of floats between Edwards and Climbing Rock. And, and it's a very good section of river probably as far as fish numbers go it's it's the highest number of numbers per mile of trout in the entire river it's a pretty even mix of rainbows and brown trout primarily wild fish occasionally you'll catch a wild cutthroat in there that drops in from a creek up above um, and it is it is a really good fishery it's a pretty mixed bag of public and private um, so that's why float fishing it is a really, really good way to go because you can float through stretches of water that you normally wouldn't be able to access wade fishing. Um, so that's that's kind of our bread and butter float that's close to the shop. We'll do a lot of half day floats on that stretch. Uh, once you get down to the Climbing Rock Campground below Wolcott, the next stretch of river it's a fairly long one. It's probably 10 miles or so down to the town of Eagle. And that, that flows through, again, a mixed bag of public and private, but um, we're fortunate that a couple miles of that stretch just went public. Uh, it's Eagle County open space now. So when you combine that with uh, the BLM water in Red Canyon, which is a really pretty kind of cool area, through that stretch where the river flows through this big red sandstone canyon. Um, there's, there's that stretch of public. And then below there is the Eagle River lease, which is a division of wildlife lease. So there's, a, there's more public water access between Wolcott and Eagle. Um, <clears throat> it's, a, it's a fairly technical row through there. It's a lot of fun. Um, but you definitely got to know. There's one rapid specifically, uh, Dead Cow, and then I guess what I-40 rapid that uh, can get your attention I pretty quick. I-70. I-70. Yep. I'm yep. Excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's a really neat stretch of water. And one thing that we're pretty stoked about on that stretch is is the takeout used to be pretty pretty <laughs> basic. In the it was at the it's at the uh, Chambers Park in the town of Eagle, and they just did an improvement on that that takeout, and now there's a nice cement boat ramp there with an eddy, so we're we're pretty happy about that. That's a stretch of water I used to do a lot when I was when I was the first five years I was guiding, and then we kind of got away from it because it became a tough one to do with clients because getting the boat out was pretty difficult. But now that there's a boat ramp there, I'll probably start doing it a lot more so, again. So where is it, Brody, the, the takeout, you, when you used to have to drive through the trees and kind of drop into the brush there in, in the rock pile, where is where have they created the, it, the concrete? It's in the exact same spot. They just did a big improvement on it. So there's a, there's a big eddy there now and a cement ramp and, and there's more room to turn around in there with a trailer, so it, it's going to be it's going to be pretty cool because we kind of got away from that stretch a little bit. I still did it now and then, but um, it, I can remember coming in there at Mach three yeah. and and 
basically the only way to pull in there and stop is you got to tell your whoever's fishing with you, you got to say, look, we're going to come by so fast. Your only job is to jump out of the boat and hold on to it as we go by. Right. And, and it was somewhat of a rodeo. Grab onto some willows and, and hope the boat stays put. Yeah. And, and meantime, no, you know, it's probably one of the fastest stretches, you know, it kind of turns into a shoot right there. And if you uh, miss the take out there, I, I'm not sure what those rapids Rodeo are rapids. called, but it's definitely something I wouldn't want to tackle. No, no, it's kind of a gnarly little rapid right below there. And uh, the whitewater folks like to do it, but we try to avoid it with, uh, with the <laughs> fishing boats. Um, so moving on down, just just less than half a mile downstream between that Chambers Park takeout um, is the Eagle County Fairgrounds where you can put a boat in. Um, and kind of all through town and through the fairgrounds, there's access for wade fishermen. And there's there's now access just below the fairgrounds where Brush Creek dumps in to the Eagle River. So th there's, th th I got to give the Eagle County Open Space Program a, a lot of credit because they, they've done a, a very good job of opening up some water for us in the last few years, not only on the Eagle, but also the Colorado River. Um, but either way at the Eagle County Fairgrounds, the next float section down is from the fairgrounds down to the town of Gypsum. And there's a couple different takeouts down in Gypsum now. Um, the first one is not really an official takeout. It's about eight miles below the fairgrounds at a, at a restaurant called the Rittenhouse, which is right in town in Gypsum. And we'll use that sometimes. Um, the next one is a couple miles downstream, just below the town of Gypsum, uh, at a spot called Community Pit BLM Access. It used to be the town dump, and now it's a BLM uh, access, where there's a, a kind of an unimproved dirt boat ramp, but it's fairly easy to get a boat out there. And going on downstream, maybe three more miles, there's now a new takeout. Uh, called the Duck Pond Open Space, where they built a, a really nice big new boat ramp. There was never really any access down there before that boat ramp was put in. Um, so that opens up, you know, a much longer float or a couple of shorter floats through that stretch of river. And, and that's basically it for the Eagle River. Um, but there is, gosh, there's probably... 35 to 40 miles of floatable water on the Eagle River. Now there's a couple stretches you can't go through because of, you know, the rapid that you mentioned. Um, but yeah, 30 plus miles of floatable water. So it, it's a pretty, pretty cool st trout stream. Um, and we didn't really talk about fish from Wolcott to Eagle or Eagle to Gypsum, but I can jump back and just touch on that real quick from from Wolcott to Eagle it's fairly similar uh to the upper river it's a pretty even mix of of brown trout and rainbows um you definitely have a shot at some larger fish down there that are starting to push over that 20 inch range the numbers are are still fairly high in there um one thing about that stretch that people should be aware of is, is after a big rainstorm there's a couple of, of seasonal creeks that dump in just above Wolcott and, and just below Wolcott. One's called Alkali Creek, one's called Mill Creek. And after a big rainstorm, that can muddy that lower stretch of the river up. So it's just something to be aware of because if it happens, it happens pretty quick and it'll ruin your day of fishing. Um, moving down to Eagle to Gypsum. There's probably not as many fish per mile down there. It's a, it's a larger kind of slower river, not as many rapids to worry about down there. The fish numbers probably aren't quite as high, but you definitely have a shot at a big, big fish. It's, it's not uncommon to catch a brown trout down there that's pushing five pounds or, or even bigger in some cases. It's not something you can expect on every trip, but they're definitely there. I'm I've seen some pictures of some browns that you've caught down there, Jay, and, and there's some big ones in there. Yeah, absolutely. It seems like the fish uh, density goes down, but, you know, the, the, the size of fish definitely goes up. I wanted to bounce back to something you had said. I'm used to the take out there in gypsum. I forget what we call it, 
Um, is there a new takeout below that? There is, uh, there is. That's that duck pond. It's an Eagle County open space uh, okay. access point that they opened. It That's at, the one we always take out at, right? No, no, that this is the new okay. one. Uh, the old one is the community pit BLM. Take. That's okay. where you drive down the little dirt road through the willows sure. to the river. So sure. about, I'd say about three miles downstream from that, there's now a new little Eagle County open space boat ramp down there. It's it's great. It's got plenty of parking and a cement ramp. And, you know, it flows through that kind of slow, froggy water below gypsum where the river bottom gets a little sandy and silty down there. But it's definitely going to be worth exploring because it flows through primarily private land and there's there's not a lot of fish per mile down there, but there, every now and then you'll hear a rumor of a 30-inch brown being caught out of that stretch. And, and well, I think I think correct me if I'm wrong, but that's not too far from the confluence with the Colorado. It, it and yeah, it, it it's right there. Now, would that still be north, or excuse me, would that still be upstream from Dotsero? Yeah, you're just upstream from Dotsero, not very far. Um, it, okay. It's probably. Oh, a mile or so above the the confluence with the Colorado right there at Dot Zero. Okay. And then uh, just out of curiosity, Brody, is it, could you potentially put in there, float down to the confluence of the Colorado, and is there any place to take out on the Colorado, say, um, you know, in that froggy water kind of before it gets to Bear Ranch? You would or? have to go all the way to Bear Ranch. Um, there's not really any way to, to get a boat out before Bear Ranch, um, cause you're, you're floating through private land, so there's nowhere to drag the boat out. Um, so you'd have to go all the way down to Bear Ranch. And we've occasionally done that, that Bear Ranch stretch in the fall, um, and caught some big fish in there, but it, there's just not a lot of fish in there. The water gets warm in the summertime and there's just, the, the habitat isn't, isn't quite what you want to see sure sure um going back to let's talk about um the the walkwade fishing say from the confluence of gore creek down to let's say stp at the town of edwards um you mentioned that there's quite a bit of public access there um what do you see as when this when the runoff is kind of over and we get into normal summer fishing conditions, what do you see as um, flies and patterns to use that would be um, optimal for fishermen that might be coming to the area? Like, what are the, the go-to flies maybe for that stretch of for river? For that stretch of river, uh, you're you're probably not going to start wading it until it gets. That's a tough little stretch to wade in there because the the water moves pretty quick in there and there's a lot of big boulders and stuff. So you're probably going to want to wait to to wade fish that until the river gets down to below 700 CFS somewhere in there. Um, otherwise, it's just too hard to get around in there. And that that's probably going to happen around, I don't know, early to mid-July. And up there, the bug life's pretty good. Um, so you're looking at primarily caddis as the mainstay hatch and and that July caddis is a, is a tan colored caddis that generally ranges from a size 12 at the beginning of the hatch down to maybe a size 18 towards the end of the summer. Um, so the, the flies aren't anything, you know, that we're trying to, to keep a secret it's standard stuff uh soft tackle hares ear nymphs soft tackle pheasant tail nymphs are good for for the emerger patterns and uh, as far as dry fly go we like uh, tan stimulator tan elk hair caddis uh stuff like that it's really it's it's not anything out of the ordinary as far as flies for that caddis hatch go goes um Mayflies, you're going to see some PMDs, pale morning duns, start hatching. Usually in mid-July, they're going to show up, and they start out as about a size 16, and they'll they'll get smaller fairly quick down to a size 18. And, and a pretty interesting thing about the, the pale morning duns in our area uh, is they're a very orangish-pinkish color. And in a lot of places, when you go to buy pale morning duns, you'll see a, a very yellow color pale yellow colored fly pattern. 
So it's something to keep in mind for our PMDs is that they're more of a, a pinkish color. So we like uh, an orange parachute, uh, a fly called the Patriot is a really good one. Um, those are probably the two big hatches for the summer. Occasionally you'll see some green drakes on the upper Eagle river. Unfortunately for, for whatever reason, that hatch hasn't really panned out for us the last few years. I'm not sure what's going on with it, but they're definitely still up there. Um, so it might be worth carrying, you know, a few green drake patterns and it, and it's always a good idea if you're going to be dry fly fishing up there to carry some small attractor patterns like a PMX, Royal Wolf, stuff like that. Um, and, and that'll, that'll cover you up there in the summertime. And then as you move down from say STP or the, the public put in there, the town of Edwards, where the main float is down to climbing rock, um, do the patterns change at all or, or, uh, or is there anything? not really, um, the, the, the caddis hatch is the big one again, and that's going to start anywhere from mid June to early July, depending on how runoff shakes out that those bugs will start hatching as soon as that river starts to drop and warm up a little bit, which hopefully will be in the next 10 days or so those bugs will start hatching. And so it, it's primarily caddis, PMDs, stuff like that. Later, a little later in the float season, we'll see some trichos. We don't really mess around with those too much because they're so small. <laughs> um, and it's just not the right kind of water on the Eagle River to fish trico dry flies. So with, with, for fishing trico dries, you need much slower, flatter water. And we just don't have that on the Eagle. Um, yeah, and for the listeners out there, I mean, the Eagle River, primarily the stretches we're talking about, the upper stretches for sure, it's a lot of pocket water, a lot of fast-moving um, little runs, and, uh, you know, it's a it's a pretty action-packed float, as you could probably attest, Brody. I mean, there's not areas where you get big, long drifts. A lot of it's, you know, 8 or 10 feet, you know, pockets, and then you, boom, you're lifting up and recasting. Definitely, you... and that's that's what makes it so fun for me as a guide or a fisherman is it, it's it's fast-paced and the rowing is technical. It's not it's not a float that a beginner wants to jump on, um, but, it, but it's very fun fishing, and if you can hit the spots, it, it's some of the best dry fly fishing you can, you can expect to find in Colorado at, during the month of July. Um, yeah, and I mean, I've seen it too where, you know, the fish aren't necessarily picky because they don't have a lot of time to look at it. Yes, you have to have the right size and the right pattern, but, you know, if you get it pretty close, you don't have to nail it specifically. You mainly just have to hit the pockets with good casts. Yeah, yeah, and and a, and a good tip for the caddis hatch specifically is, is a lot of fly fishermen have been taught that a, a dead drift is is the key to catching fish. And during that caddis hatch, one of the most important things you can do to up your catch is to actually move your fly around a little bit. When you watch those caddis flies hatching and laying eggs, th those those bugs are moving around on the water. And so a little bit of drag or a skitter on the surface with your dry fly is going to get a little bit of attention from those fish in the, in the Eagle. They, they tend to like a little bit of movement. Um, it's not necessarily a secret. I, I want everyone to know, but I'm, <laughs> I'm happy to, to share it here. Um, it, it's definitely something to keep in mind that a little bit of drag on your fly isn't going to kill you. It, it might actually improve your, your odds of catching more fish. So my 40 million listeners, uh, th th you're going to shake your head and wonder why, why you said that, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm hesitant to even talk about the <laughs> eagle itself, but, you know, because it's such a great little stream that, that doesn't get the attention it deserves. Yeah, I mean, it is a spectacular river for sure. Um, and while we're talking about that stretch, um, it might be important to note that the the float on the eagle sometimes and most of the time is a fairly short season. I mean, it's it doesn't last long. Can you talk about yeah. that specifically? Yeah, we usually in a normal, let's say we have a normal snowpack year and and the snow runs off, you know, at the time that that it's it, it normally does, which there is no normal anymore. It seems like. 
Um, we usually actually get two float seasons on the Eagle and, and one is a, a pre runoff float. That's generally going to occur as the water, the lower elevation snow melts in March. We'll get a short two to four week season in April, uh, sometimes into early May. And then the big water comes when it starts to warm up, which didn't really happen this year because of the, the cool, wet weather we had in May. Um, but generally speaking, in a, in a normal summer, you're going to start floating the eagle around June 20th. Um, it might be a week later than that. Um, but usually by June 20th, we're starting to get, get on it and, and do some float trips. And if you get four to five weeks out of that river, that that's a pretty good float season on the Eagle. Last year, we were very fortunate to get almost seven weeks on the Eagle, which was great. Um, but it, it is a pretty short, sweet float season. And, and that's why you know, as far as guiding goes, I am on that thing every day that it's floatable in the summer. Yeah. And, and one of the beautiful things too, I think is since it is such a short season, it actually gives those fish a lot of break. Yeah. There's a lot of areas that don't get fished. And, you know, I think that's why when it is floatable, it is very good because there's a lot of stretches where the fish really don't get a lot of pressure. And, um, how do you think the, season this year with the conditions and I know it's hard to predict but being a 16 year veteran in the valley what what do you see this year as far as what's going on with the runoff and will it extend the float season or just how how do you see it shaping I kind of think we're just going to get an average float season you know a, a four four to five week float season is is what I'm thinking and what I'm hoping um, we were really sweating bullets in March because we didn't have a lot of snow and it was 70 degrees and it was looking like a repeat of 2012. And then in May, you know, we didn't see the sun for a month and it rained every day and it was snowing up high. So it kind of bailed us out. And everybody now is, is like, what's going on with the, the high water? Well, it's really not in the grand scheme of things, it's really not that high. And the timing is, is about what it normally is. It's just, everything was delayed a little bit and now we're getting, getting a peak a little later than we might normally get. But I think that we're just going to get that, that kind of average four week season. And, uh, you know, the, the weather forecast for the summer is they're, they're saying it's going to be an El Nino summer and that it, it it's going to be a cooler wetter summer and that that could extend that float season uh in a big way and and i i hope that's what happens because in years when we get those monsoon rainstorms in july it can really extend that float season the river will stay low but it'll stay floatable and that that's the ideal situation because once that river gets to a certain level a lot of guys kind of get off of it and start hitting the Colorado river because it becomes a pretty technical row when it gets low. But that's when I like it is when it's low and there's no other boats out there. Well, it seems like too, at the lower it gets, the more pockets that open yep. up, the, you know, the more, the more fish become predictable and, in, in uh, you know, all the different pocket water. And it's an incredible fishery because it's really unlike any river I've fished as far as, cause you know, going down the river as the water is dropping, you know, at, over the weeks, you start to see new rocks and new pockets and holes that open up. And it's, it's, you know, it seems like there's a fish behind every rock. Um, uh, and then, you know, there's days too, when you think there's not a fish in the river. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things that makes it such an interesting river to float fish is how it changes from high water to low water, because you're, you're, you know, when it's really high, you're trying to hit a six inch strip of slower water along the bank. And as it drops, there's more and more spots to throw to. And at the very end of the season, you could be fishing a pocket right in front of the boat out in the middle of the river. And there's fish coming up to eat your dry fly in the middle of the river. So it's constantly changing and it makes it a very interesting river to float fish. Um, and kind of going back to the the hatch thing too a lot of guys will will when it does get low a lot of guys kind of bail off of it because the bug hatches taper off and they're not seeing rising fish so they assume the fish aren't going to eat dry flies and 
that's actually one of my favorite times of, of the year to be out there because the fish will still come up and eat dry flies. You're just, you're not necessarily mimicking a hatch. You're throwing small attractor dry flies, like a little PMX or an ant or something like that. And, and it's a very fun time of year to fish. You're not necessarily casting to a fish that you're seeing rising. You're just casting to spots and hoping that that fish comes up and eats and, and they, they will come up and eat dry flies, even though there's not any bugs hatching. Sure. Um, Brody, in speaking, speaking uh, specifically about that uh, uh, STP to climbing rock stretch, uh, I think we would need to note for sure uh, there is a major rapid there, Trestle Rapid, yep. which, yep. Um, you know, always riding with Giannis, I kind of took it for granted a little bit. Um, I used to video and Jean would fish through the stretch crazy, you know, she yep. just fished through the stretch, but I would video and, you know, after I started rowing, I started appreciating uh, that rapid quite a bit more. It, um, any advice for people on that? Or um, if if you haven't done it with an experienced rower, it's not a good idea to just go out there and try it. Um, and the the rapid that 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 you're talking about, Trestle Rapid, is is about half a mile downstream from the town of Wolcott, where Highway Six and One Thirty One meet. Uh, and it, it, we call it trestle because it goes under a, an old train bridge there. Um, you really got to be careful that the toughest spots are, are the entrance and the exit to that rapid. And it's fairly long rapid. It's several hundred yards long. Um, so going into it, uh, you, you really got to pull away from the right wall, kind of keep your nose pointed at that right wall. And then, then there's a little, kind of pyramid shaped rock you got to squirt by on the left once you get past that thing the safest way to row that rapid is to stay on the left side of the river as much as you can the main hazards are on the right for most of the rapid and then at the very exit of the rapid where there's a little kind of pour over and shoot there's a big rock on your left that you got to avoid as well but it, it's a technical rapid and anyone that doesn't have a lot of rowing experience shouldn't attempt it on their own without someone experienced in rowing that rapid in the boat. And one thing we didn't even really mention about float fishing, the Eagle is the Eagle is a raft only river. We do not row drift boats on it. Um, I've seen a couple of jokers put drift boats in at uh, the treatment plant over the years. And both times I've seen it, those guys ended up sinking their drift boats in Trestle Rapid. Um, yeah. so it's, it's definitely a raft only. Um, and I can attest that, you know, that trestle rapid, the first time I rode it, I, I actually made my, I believe it was my wife get out of the boat and walk down. And, um, boy, the first time I did it, I was sure puckered. Yeah. Um, yeah. and you know that you, you talk about staying river left. Uh, I, I've seen other guys, you know, float down in that rock on at the very bottom uh, that gets them because they stay left and then they, it, it, that rock seems to pull you and then they, they, they're too late. And, right. um, you know, Giannis always did that trick where he'd go by it and then he'd pull the, the left oar in right when he goes by it. And yeah, um, yeah I found, I found that that's a pretty slick way to do that it. That is tucking that oar. You can get pretty close to that rock. You just don't want to pancake it. Um, the, really, the closer you get to that thing, the easier the exit out of that rapid is. But you got to make a quick move and and shift that oar and tuck it away from the rock. Um, and and trestle really isn't the only the only technical stuff on that river. There's a lot of little spots where you can get in trouble if, if, if you don't have rowing experience. Trestle is just kind of the main big long rapid through that stretch. Um, so it definitely keeps you on your toes as a rower. Absolutely. And then as we move uh, down from uh, Climbing Rock down to the town of Eagle, one thing I've noticed is it seems like um, – it seems like there's a little as you keep going down it seems like there's less fish and it seems like those fish at times can get a little more technical i don't know if it's just my experience uh or if it's just less fish so you it feels more technical yeah it it, it certainly can can get that way I, i'm not sure why it is but it seems like as you go further downstream 
um, the less reliable the dry fly fishing is. Um, I think those fish are still eating. They're just bigger fish that that maybe don't want to come up and eat on the surface and they're happy down there eating nymphs. And uh, I, I, that's especially true between eagle and gypsum. The dry fly fishing's not as, as dependable down there. Um, in, you know, I'm, I'm not sure why, why the river gets a little moodier downstream because the upper river in, in all honesty probably gets more pressure so you think those fish would be a little trickier, but they actually, they like to eat dry flies better up there. So it's, it's just kind of one of those personality things about the Eagle River that you might have to do a little nymphing on, on those lower stretches to catch fish. Yeah. Or, or streamers. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I, that lower stretch from um, uh, Eagle to gypsum, it, it seems like, you know, m maybe later in the summer, kind of right before the fishing the float fishing ends there you know maybe large like chernobyl ants and stuff with a, a, a you know a beadhead dropper of some sort i have very rarely seen them come up for dries and it's kind of crazy um uh you know how that lower river just seems like it's ideal for streamers and you know uh big stonefly nymphs and and you know just kind of you know quote unquote trashier type of fishing right, but right you know it, it's 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 definitely a river that it, each stretch has its own unique characteristic. Oh yeah, um, it's like it's like different, completely different rivers when you look at it down in Gypsum as opposed to up in Edwards. It's like fishing two different streams. Um, yeah, it's an incredible fishery, and um, I know uh, Vale Valley anglers. Uh, you know, you guys have great guides. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about um, gear. Um, that you use, you know, what kind of raft are you floating? Yeah. Uh, what kind of rods you like, reels, um, you know, waders? Just talk to me a little about what, what you use. Yeah, the standard kind of boat setup on the Eagle is, is usually a 13-foot raft. Um, you'll, you know, you'll see a lot of Air Super Pumas out there, NRS Otters. I just picked up uh, a new boat called the Rocky Mountain Raft. They're all pretty similar designs. And they have an aluminum fishing frame on them. The rower sits in the middle, uh, fishermen up front, fishermen in the back. And that's really the ideal boat for the Eagle River. And I, I actually use that boat for all of my fishing because um, a raft can go anywhere a drift boat can. And they can go a lot of places that a drift boat, boat can't go. So that that's kind of the program I run. Um, as far as boats go, fishing gear pretty standard stuff um anywhere from a four nine we, we use nine foot rods generally speaking um and in that four to six weight range of a four weight on the upper river is kind of nice for throwing dry flies a six weight's great if you're going to be doing some slinging some lead you know and big stonefly nymphs like you were mentioning and nymphing or throwing streamers uh, most of my clients just kind of split the difference and, and roll with a nine foot five weight rod. Cause you can pretty much do anything with that rod. Um, so that'll, that'll cover you as far as, as fly rods go. Um, leaders and tippet were generally running the start of the season when the water's high, I'll run a three X leader and four X tippet. By the end of the season, you might be down to a 5X liter and 6X tippet. Um, fluorocarbon or regular? If you're nymphing, fluorocarbon, I think, is an advantage. Dry fly fishing, it, 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 it can actually hurt you because fluorocarbon sinks, so it'll drag small dry flies under the surface. Um, and one thing I, I don't like about fluorocarbon is that stuff does not break down in nature, so if you, you know, throw a piece of fluorocarbon tippet on the ground, it's going to be there a hundred years from now. Um, whereas mono will eventually break down. Not that you want to throw that on the ground either, but. Uh, I didn't know that. That's, yeah, that's, fluorocarbon that's is pretty wild stuff. It will, it'll never break down in nature. Um, okay. So we want to pick it all up off the ground. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So that's kind of the standard tippet range. It's, it's nothing special really. Um, I like, I, I tend to prefer shorter leaders on the Eagle, seven and a half foot leaders that, that might be just because I'm guiding and I want my 
clients to be able to turn that leader over and get it close to the bank quickly. Um, it wouldn't hurt you to use a nine foot leader on the Eagle. Um, there's really no, no need for a long 12 foot leader that I've ever seen. So again, pretty, pretty standard stuff as far as gear goes. Um, I don't know if you have any other gear items you wanted to talk about. Do you have like specific wading boots um, that you that you guide in, or or wading sandals? What what do you roll? You in know, these days? I I I pretty much only float guides, so I'm not wading around a whole lot. So I just use a pair of Chaco sandals; they're comfortable. Um, and one of the reasons I do that is so my feet don't so they aren't wet all day long. Um, I don't like having a pair of wading shoes or boots on where your feet are just soaking in that neoprene and getting wet and swampy all day long. You know, I want them to periodically dry out. So I use a pair of sandals. But one thing, one reason people may not want to do that is the Eagle is a tough, slick river to wade. And so if you're wearing sandals and you're getting in and out of the boat, there's definitely a chance you're going to bang up your ankles or your toes. So a closed toe shoe might be a better option. Maybe a, a pair of those Keens that actually wrap up over your toes might be better. Um, so that's definitely something to consider as far as wading gears, gear goes. If you're going to be floating and getting out of the boat to wade fish, and there's plenty of spots you can do that, then you're probably going to want to go with an actual wading boot because like I said, the, the Eagle is a tough river to wade fish and and not having a good solid boot that has you know felt or or some of that newer uh grippy rubber on the bottom if if you don't have that you're going to be stumbling around out there yeah absolutely you want to have sure footing um for sure well brody it's been awesome talking to you this morning um i want to give you a chance uh how can people find you um uh i recommend uh Given Brody a call if you want to do a guided trip on the Eagle or the Colorado or, or anywhere in the Vail Valley. Um, how do people get a hold of you, Brody? Uh, they can get in touch through the shop in Edwards, Colorado, in the Riverwalk Center, um, either through the website, which is valevalleyanglers.com. Um, and there's a little guide bio page, and you can check me out there. Or you can talk to the guys directly at the shop. The number is 970 9260900 um and and you can book a trip that way. Um we have a lot of other great guides, so if I'm not available, uh we'll get you hooked up with someone else. That sounds great. And I wanted to um finish our conversation. Uh I know your dad had harvested a I know you're a hunter as well yep. and uh your dad harvested a really nice buck a couple years ago. And um, just wanted to get a, a short, uh, uh, hear it from you and just hear a, a short story on, on that. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. Uh, my old man had been out to hunt Colorado a few times and had shot a couple smaller bucks during muzzleloader season. And, and, uh, and I really wanted to get him a big buck. And, and I didn't have the, the sweet tag that year, and he did, so... We hunted for a few days, and uh, I think the fourth or fifth day of the season, in the evening, we glassed up a real nice buck, but we didn't have time to make a move on him. Um, and and I it, the light was pretty low, and I thought he was somewhere in that 180 range that in which my dad would have been very stoked with. Um, and we found the buck the next morning, and and actually almost got too close to him moving in. Uh, he ended up shooting this, this buck at about 70 yards. And as soon as I saw the buck falling over, I knew it was way bigger than 180. And uh, we walked up to it, and it was an impressive old buck, super heavy, wide, couple of long kickers on it. And it ended up scoring 209, I think it was. Wow. Yeah, it was a <laughs> super cool buck. And my dad really didn't know what he had until we got that deer home. And I pulled a 170-inch European mount off my wall and stuck that thing inside the antlers uh, <laughs> of his buck. And then, then he kind of realized how special that deer was. You know, a do-it-yourself hunt on public land. And, you know, that's, that's another great thing about this area is we've got some good hunting. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, that that's a great story. And um, do you have any hunts that you've drawn or anything coming up that you're looking uh, forward to this fall? You or? know, I drew a North Park antelope tag over by Walden, which should be a pretty, pretty cool hunt. Um, it's a muzzleloader hunt and the Division of Wildlife actually changed the structure of the muzzleloader season for antelope. It used to fall after rifle season um, in late October, and they actually switched it so it's now before rifle season. So I'll get to chase some of those antelope over there. Um, awesome. Yeah, yeah. That's that's over in Scotty Graham exactly. country. Exactly, yep, yep. Oh, cool. Yeah, so Scott, uh, Scott's going to be on the podcast here uh, in a few days. Po- Scott's going to be on the podcast, so... Um, I know you two are friends. Well, that's awesome that you have an antelope hunt to look forward yep. to. And I know you're really looking forward to this fishing season as, as am I. And I look forward to seeing you out on the river and I just appreciate you being with us today. Yeah, no problem. I'll see you out there on the Eagle, probably on the Roaring Fork too. All right, buddy. Sounds good. You take care. All right. Thanks a lot. Well, that was a great episode with Brody Henderson of Bell Valley Anglers talking about the Eagle River. I can't wait for the eagle to come down and uh, get up there and do some floating on it and catch some nice fish. It uh, should be a good dry fly season this, this July. I'm over here in the Roaring Fork Valley, and uh, the, the Roaring Fork is, is really blown out. The crystal's blown out. Um, uh, you know, it's just a mud season, and I uh, look forward to these rivers coming down. It'll be interesting to see how the green drake hatch is affected uh, with these high flows. Um, but I'm betting it'll be, you know, July 1st, uh, the fishing will be on and we'll be floating and, and, uh, look forward to that floating season. I want to thank you guys for listening to the J Scott Outdoors podcast. Uh, it's, uh, you guys have been phenomenal with your support. Uh, if you have any comments or questions, uh, feel free to email me at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. Uh, get constant support and and messages each day from you guys. I just really appreciate that. Uh, We've got great episodes coming up all summer long, and I just appreciate your support. Uh, You can follow along at jscottoutdoors.com. You can follow along on Instagram and Facebook. Instagram, it's at jscottoutdoors. My associate, Dar Colburn, you can follow him at Dar Colburn on Instagram. Our Facebook page is jscottoutdoors. Um, my personal Facebook page is Jay Scott. Uh, we have a YouTube channel that uh, is uh, uh, very well received. Uh, we've got, I don't know, a million five views and uh, 1,500 subscribers or so. So um, check that out. I just thank you guys for listening. And until next time, God bless. Thanks for listening to the Jay Scott Outdoors Western Big Game Hunting and Fishing Podcast brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more, go to gohunt.com forward slash insider and join today.